He said. She said. We said. Our take on lasting love, sustainable relationships, life hacks, and more. Hi, I'm Tia. I'm PJ, and these are our stories. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Hello, hello, hello. Welcome to another episode of He, She, We podcast. Yes. This is our first podcast of 2021. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're back for uh, the topic is what is our what, what what is our responsibility when it comes to health and wellness with family and friends? Right. And that is the subtopic. The overall topic is health, wellness and COVID. Mm. And we want to touch on all of those. You know, because it's easy to talk about know fun things fun times with family and friends uh, but when we're faced with health and, ch and challenges um, those fun topics just go out the window and this is not you know so fun to talk about right it's kind of difficult to talk about sometimes we, we don't want to talk about it of course because some people feel embarrassed when they are faced with challenges especially when you've known them to be that lively you know um person at the party, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. or just a happy-go-lucky kind of person. So when they're faced with challenges, we don't know how people take illnesses for themselves or even family members, right, you right. know? And on top of that, you know, people, they, they, they it's a private thing for them. Mm -hmm. So they don't want to talk about it openly with their, with their friends and families when right. they really should sometimes, especially the close family and friends, they should talk about it. We should talk about it. Absolutely. And then those we're not even talking about COVID. Oh, that's, when you talk, that's when you add thing. COVID, you know, it it offers different challenges and um, based on so many variables. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Okay, so what health challenges did you encounter growing up? Or you want me to go first with that? You go first with that. Okay. Well, for me, um, I didn't have any chronic illnesses or ailments. I played sports all through school, and so I was pretty active and pretty healthy. I wasn't overweight, um, but I used to get a lot of sore throats. I mean, a, yeah, a lot of sore throats. And so at, when I was younger, they thought that I had, you know, bad tonsils and that I should maybe get them taken out. And I used to pray for that because they used to tell me, oh, you get to eat a lot of ice cream <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> when you're recovering that. from, you know, your tonsils being taken That's out. That's what they used to tell you, you know. Back in the day, I wonder if they still do that now. I wonder. Yeah, you because know, yeah, they they told me the same thing. Uh -huh. I had my tonsils taken out. I didn't, and so yeah, you I did didn't. have yours taken but out. But they they didn't give me ice cream, <laughs> and that's a true story. They did not give me, they gave me ice chips. Ice chips. Yeah. <laughs> now, how old were you when you had that done? Oh, geez, I had to be about maybe nine. Really? Ten, maybe. Did you realize what was going on at the time, like with your hospital, with your surgery or procedure? No, I just knew I wasn't. I wasn't at home. Okay. You know, you know, I was in a strange environment, mm -hmm. but it didn't really bother me that much because my parents were there. Mm -hmm. My mom was there with me. Okay. So it didn't bother me that much. And it was it was a pretty quick procedure. Right. Right. Yeah. Okay. And so, what other health challenges, um, or did you have any health challenges growing up other than having your tonsils removed? Not really. Other than I was a real, you know, accident prone type kid mm -hmm. I was just all over the place I was invincible the only thing I can remember you know I, I broke a couple of bones mm -hmm. as a kid I broke my ankle mm -hmm. funny story but not so funny mm -hmm. um 
I think I was like nine, maybe ten. A lot, a lot of things happening. Yeah, happening. A lot happening at, at nine, nine. And ten. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I found my freedom. Oh, at least you thought. <laughs> I, I thought I did. So we had we, we lived in a two story house. So it was in in Georgia, mm-hmm. in the small town, and it wasn't a whole lot to do. So Batman was my idol. Mm-hmm. So I climbed on top of the the house. With a ladder, obviously, mm-hmm. and I tied a towel around my neck because <laughs> my my plan was to jump off, not so much jump off, the fly off. That was that was my takeoff, uh huh, um, platform. Uh-huh. So I jumped off the roof, and the mechanism in my flight suit didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, needless to say, I fell and on the ground and crashed and uh, broke my ankle. Uh-huh. So it was so painful, so painful. I hobbled into the house, ran into my mother's room crying and told her <laughs> what happened. And she told me that I was stupid, <laughs> that she taught me better and that she wasn't going to take me to, to the hospital. Wow. For, me- for medical care that day. Yeah. She we wouldn't me- be able to get away with that now. No, not at all. <laughs> she told me, go, go, go to bed. Uh-huh. Wake up in the morning, and I'll take you to the doctor in the morning, which which she did. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, so it was so painful that night. That I had to suffer through that. But it, it kind of taught me a lesson. Mm-hmm. One, it reinforced that I probably shouldn't be jumping off a roof at nine years old, ten years old. A two-story mm-hmm. house. Um, yeah. And so when you, did they put a cast on your leg? Mm-hmm, girl, yeah. And so. <laughs> that was enough. That was enough. I'm telling you, I was around bunches. Uh-huh. So they put a cast on my ankle. Uh-huh. For about two and a half weeks, start itching, uh-huh. and I couldn't get to it, and I was just so irritated. My mom, you know, she she was doing what she was doing, and back in back then they put it up with with it was um plaster, uh-huh. and plaster you had to wet the plaster to put the the cast on. Right. So, me in my brilliant mind at the time, I figured if I got in in a bathtub with hot water mm-hmm. or warm water, it would melt <laughs> melt the cast. the cast. So I did that. I did that. And it got soft, but it didn't melt it. But it, it, it made it soft enough where I could tear it off. Mm-hmm. So I tore it off. You know what's funny about that? What? Is as an adult, every time you've had a cast on... <laughs> You can never keep it on for longer than a week. You start getting antsy and want to take it off. I think I start feeling claustrophobic and yeah. I, I, it's itching in areas where I can't reach. Exactly. That's you know, so and, crazy. And it's irritating mm-hmm. and I can't stand it. I really can't. And I don't care about the consequences. So I didn't then. I right. don't now. So do they rewrap it or do you even remember? I think my mom, you know, my mom took me back to the doctor. And she told him what I did. Mm-hmm. He wasn't pleased. And so he put another cast on <laughs> for another, I think, six weeks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I didn't take it off. So did you, who else in your family, if anybody else in your family, was uh, facing health challenges? And how did you deal with them? Yeah, you know, at a young age, my, my mom had, you know, some medical issues. Mm-hmm. You know, diabetes, um, hypertension, mm-hmm. obesity. Mm-hmm. And so she would take insulin shots daily. Mm-hmm. And because I was at home primarily with her alone, because my dad was working, my sister was was away in school, I would watch her, t- you know, give herself insulin shots. Mm-hmm. So when she had her stroke, she was really unable to give herself shots, mm-hmm. injections. So I I said, you know, just show me how to do it. 
I'll do it for you. Wow. So How I did, brave. So I did that. It, yeah, well, thank you. But I don't think so. I was just, I loved her. You know, it was it was something that, that needed to be done. Right. So I did that. That's crazy. And uh, yeah, and then when she had a had a stroke, I was at home with her by myself. Mm-hmm. I think I was 12 or 13. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know what to do. So I called 911. I think it was 911 then. Mm-hmm. I think that's what it was. I'm not really sure. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so she had a stroke, and so we, we dealt with that. Right. And so I helped her with her rehab. And so basically from the time that you were 13 until you moved at 18, you helped your mom yes. with her medical issues. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Because, I mean, I was the only one there. Right. My dad worked um, in the afternoon up all the way up until past midnight. Mm-hmm. And then when he came home, obviously, you know, I helped him count his money. Right. But, yeah. And your sister was gone. She, she was, was already off at college or whatever. Correct. And see, I don't remember my mom ever having any medical issues other than just being tired from fatigue, from working two jobs, you know, and trying to manage us and, and deal with life mm-hmm. in general as a single parent. Uh-huh. So I don't remember um, any health challenges until I became an adult which is when she was diagnosed with breast cancer Mm -hmm. at 42. And at that time I was 22. So I was in college and I was there for her as far as like, I would always go to my mom's doctor's appointments with her. I was, we were glued at the hip, you know, so whenever Mm -hmm. she went to the doctor, I always went with her. So I was actually there with her when she was diagnosed or Mm -hmm. they found the lump and then they sent her for a biopsy and all of that. But where I wasn't there was when they started with her treatment, mm-hmm. when she started with chemotherapy and, and so forth. I don't think that I realized the gravity of the situation as far as being there to to see what she needed as far as maybe going with her mm-hmm. to the doctor for her chemo, because I didn't know. I didn't know what it entailed. And, I'm, and she didn't know because it was her first time. And all I would know is that, oh, I'm going off to my chemo. And then she, a couple of hours later she'd come back mm-hmm. so you didn't you didn't think far enough that it would it could take her life possibly or i never thought about death i never thought about death i knew it was serious mm-hmm. but all i knew at that time and it was so shallow was that chemotherapy made your hair come out let me ask you did people talk about it a lot back then like cancer and breast cancer like they're doing mm, now? Not really. I think more people talked about sugar. sugar. <laughs> Girl, I got nah, sugar. You got, you got the sugar. You got sugar. <laughs> what the heck is sugar? Diabetes. Diabetes. You know? I got the diabetes. <laughs> I know. I think people mostly, in the, especially in the black community, they talked more about diabetes, um, sugar, um, and, and, and um, no, hypertension. No, the blood. The blood, the blood, hypertension, hypertension. That's yeah, I got the high blood pressure. You know, that's all most people talked about. They right. didn't really talk about cancer, right? And why I don't know. Maybe it was just that we weren't that aware of cancer in general until you got it. Yeah, you know, and then you would know. Oh, so and so he died of cancer, or she died of cancer, but you really didn't know anything else. Or I didn't know anything else about you know, it. There was something than... interesting back in the seventies. I think it was like seventy. 475 mm-hmm. my grandmother was in her in her 80s and she was i mean always on the go taking care of stuff doing stuff and she, she and she was driving every day so one day she came over to her to her house and said she wasn't feeling well mm-hmm. she didn't talk about anything else she wasn't feeling well so she got in her car and she drove drove herself to the hospital mm-hmm. she never came out of the hospital wow 
and come to find out she had cancer. Really? No, no treatment, nothing. Cause, See? Because she was one of the old school, mm-hmm. didn't go to the doctor. She never went to the doctor. Right. It just crept up, but she lived in her 80s. And it's funny, she didn't go for whatever reason. You know, a lot of people didn't go, whether they didn't have insurance or, or what have you. Um, but nowadays, you have people that are still of that mindset where they don't follow up when they don't feel good. They have something, some ailment. And they don't follow up for various reasons. Mm-hmm. They're scared. And what they don't realize is being afraid and not getting checked up makes it worse for you. Because if you catch cancer, especially early, you can it can maybe be taken care of, eradicated. But most people or some people, they don't. They're just so afraid they don't go and follow up. Yeah, definitely in, in, the, in the black culture. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's cultural. Although I think millennials... They're more apt to go to the doctor now as opposed to baby baby boomers at the time. Mm-hmm. Because growing up, the black males didn't, didn't go to the doctor at, at all. That's true. No. But but the other thing, too, with millennials and um, is that a lot of young people in general, mm-hmm. they think they're invisible. I mean, invincible. invincible. They think they're invincible. They're invisible, so too. They, they're invisible, too. <laughs> but they don't think they're invisible now. Right. But they think they're invincible, so right. they don't feel the need to have... Um, insurance. If they don't have it, they don't feel the need to try to get some kind of insurance because I'm young, I'm healthy, no wrong with me. But they don't think about those times when there's an accident or yeah. you know something unfortunate. There's like no that sense happens. of urgency. Nope. Or looking to the future, what could possibly happen? Right. And having a, a go to, right. you know, a plan B. Okay, if you get sick, okay, now what? Now need what? To go to, need to go to the doctor. So now what? And that's why when when the girls graduated from college, of course. Brit, she had a full-time job right away, whereas Ty didn't. And so with her having a part-time job, they don't offer health care. Mm-hmm. And so because they were already past 26 or approaching the age where they were no longer able to stay on our medical, we made sure that she had a plan. Right. You know, we right. went online looking at the different plans and, and got her insurance through Blue Cross. And, and I would recommend that other parents do that if they're able. You know, everybody's not able, and I get that. But it's so important because young people get sick. Absolutely. Young women, I've seen more young women come down with breast cancer than I ever have. And when I was diagnosed, you know, almost 15 years ago, and it's definitely when my mom was diagnosed, but there are a lot of young women, even when I was diagnosed, I had a couple of friends who were diagnosed in their thirties, you know? And so it's real important as far as the insurance is is concerned. So what are your thoughts on, on COVID? You know, since March, we've been in this world a global pandemic and it's just taking off crazy. What are your thoughts on Oh my God, I have so many thoughts about COVID. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just crazy the fact that we're even living in a pandemic. The fact that we even have um, so much in the world that has changed because of it, mm-hmm. you know? And so it's, it's just, my, my biggest thing is, is that it just affects so many of us in different ways. You got, you know, first responders and that have to be out there. They can't stay inside like we can, mm-hmm. you know, as much as we can. Right. And and that's difficult for them because they have to, they're consistently worried about bringing home COVID to their families. Right. You know, and, um, and especially if you have a couple and they both work out in that field, right. they're like encountering so many people and stuff, you know. So there's just so many things that have um that come along with COVID. Yeah, yeah. I, I I'm I'm right there with you. Um 
it, it is definitely real. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, there, there's a segment in society that thinks think that it's not real. Right. Um, it's going to disappear. Mm-hmm. You know, but a lot of people are surviving it. Right. They, they're getting getting past it. And I think the, the numbers outweigh um, the deaths mm-hmm. of surviving it and getting through it. Mm-hmm. But the older people, those those are the more, the most of the ones that were suffering. Right. And, and, and dying from that. Any funny stories that you have from any treatments or any medical procedures that you um, encountered? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> me personally. Uh huh. Other than the, the the story already about the Batman, but what uh, other as an adult say? Okay, well this this all, I can only think of one, and it really it sticks with me or has stuck with me through through these years. Um, when I was younger, young adult, um, I think we were still married. Mm-hmm. I'm not still married, well, but we, we were, were married we were married <laughs> early on. So I went to to uh, go for an exam. Uh, physical. Uh-huh. And my doctor had passed away. Mm-hmm. When I didn't know that until I went there. And they said, oh, well, you know, you should have came last week because he, he's gone. Gone. Yeah. So I'm like, I'm face Gone as in retired. No, gone as in dead. Did he die? He died. Oh, okay, that's when you found out he had died. Yeah, okay. yeah, he died. And so I'm now I'm faced with trying to find a new doctor mm-hmm. to, to give me an exam. And the networks of physicians weren't like they are now. It's easy to find a doctor now. You just get on the internet or right. get a referral from another doctor or whatever. It wasn't like that then. Mm-hmm. So I was I was just like, what do I do? What do I do? And I think I even came to you. I said, I, I can't, I don't know what to do. I can't find a doctor. And you said, well, you know, Daryl is a doctor. <laughs> Daryl is a longtime family friend. So uh-huh. The girls grew up with their kids. And, you know, so I was like, you, you know, you're right. You're right. So I'm not really not thinking this whole thing through. I just realized he was a doctor, so I made an appointment with him. So I go to the appointment. I go to the office. I check in. They take me into the examining room, the waiting room, to wait for the doctor. Mm-hmm. And I haven't talked to Daryl in maybe like six, seven months. At that time. At that time. Uh huh. But we were we were close. So I go into the waiting room and I'm waiting for him to come in. So the door opens up. He walks in. So I'm looking at him like, you know, I want to say, hey. Ready to greet him. <laughs> yeah, but ready to greet him. Go, hey, how you doing? What's going on? But I just, I'm just watching him. Uh-huh. So he had my chart or a chart, and he was looking at the chart as he walked in. And he turned around with his back towards me, still looking at the chart. So I'm just sitting there waiting for him to turn around so I could say, hey. <laughs> so then he finally turns around and looks at me. He goes, oh, oh, it's you. Oh, it's you. I mean, you're really surprised. Uh-huh. So we exchange, you know. Greetings and went on from there. He gave me my, my physical and checked all my vitals. And so when he finished the vitals, you know, I'm smiling, laughing because I'm, you know, I'm pretty healthy. I'm like, okay. So then he looked at me. He goes, you know, it's you're at that age where you need, you know, the prostate exam. Mm-hmm. And I froze. <laughs> I froze. So because now I'm thinking, okay, he's my friend. Now he's gonna, you know, go back there. And mess around with the prostate. Mm-hmm. So I got real silent at that time. And and I succumbed to it. I said, okay. All mm-hmm. right. Pulled down my pants, turned around, and he <laughs> did exa- his thing. <laughs> did his, he examined me. My first thought was trying to be funny. I wanted to say something like, uh, now that you finished, you know, you gonna buy me dinner? <laughs> but I was so <laughs> I was so 
I don't know, I was not embarrassed, but I was just like, how do you how do you go on from there mm-hmm. being a friend with somebody? You know, you go play dominoes with with, with, a, with a brother and you're sitting down, you know, talking smack and you're looking at him and he's looking at you. <laughs> right. And it's like, where, where do you go from there? Right. So needless to say, I, I haven't spoken to him since. That is crazy. You, I think you kept in touch. I kept, yeah, I kept in you, touch you kept with, in with wife. With uh-huh. So, yeah, that was probably the first embarrassing moment that I had with the doctor. Experience well, he was a very good doctor, he's still right. working. I think he's like 80 some years old. Now. <laughs> Stop it! But you know what was funny is that remember the last surgery that you had a few years ago over in Culver City, and I went across to get your medication mm-hmm. to the pharmacy, and I I ran into him. Did you really? Uh huh. I told you that you then, I told you that you then, did? you just probably forgot. Yeah, I ran into him did then, he, he coming what, out of the pharmacy. He, what, he always asks about you. I bet he does. And I said, oh, he he not talking to me. <laughs> <laughs> no, he, he was such a nice man. Yeah, he asked about you. But yeah, that's the last time I saw him. That's so funny. That I had forgotten funny. about that, that until you just brought him up. Now, I have a, an interesting story about when I was, like I've mentioned before, I was diagnosed with breast cancer back in 2006, went through chemotherapy and radiation. And um, remember when I went to the uh, my second treatment, when we were first, when we first went there and they discussed treatment at City of Hope and yes. what was going to happen. Yes, yes. And they said, oh, 16 days after your first treatment, your hair is going to fall out. Mm-hmm. And I was like, are you sure my hair is going to fall out? I right. know some women, they hair don't fall out, you know, because that's what... And you had a head full of hair. Head full of hair. And I was like, okay, okay. She didn't say my hair going to fall out. So uh-huh. I might as well cut it short. Right. So when it starts to fall out, you know, I won't be so devastated. And i never forget that second um, treatment that I went to. I still had a couple of days because I was 14 days later. Mm-hmm. And I go in there and Laura says, she looks at me and she goes, oh, you still got your hair. And it was pretty thick, pretty right. full, but it was kind of dull. It wasn't as shiny and, you know, as it was. So I noticed the change, but, and cause it was starting to get brittle, but mm-hmm. I was hoping and saying, okay, maybe I'm not. So we had that conversation again, me being hopeful and telling her, I don't think my hair is going to fall out. She goes, no, with this medication, this mm-hmm. cocktail, your hair is falling out. Mm-hmm. And so she even pulled on it a little bit in one of the areas and it didn't come out. But mm-hmm. when I got home on my way, I, I called you and I said, okay. My hair's going to fall out. She said, it's definitely going to fall out. So we might as well have a shaving party. Did you come up with that or did I do? No, I, we had talked about having okay. a shaving party. So you probably brought that up okay. and I wasn't listening. <laughs> but then I said, yep, it's time for the shaving party. Because you and... have such a pretty head. <laughs> but I didn't know that. I was thinking, <laughs> I ain't never been bald before. <laughs> and, um, and so I get home and the girls were here. Two of their friends were here. And we were all in our bathroom. I remember. Remember? Uh-huh. And you were getting me ready to shave my head, had draped the towel around me, and and I'm sitting up like I'm all brave. We had cocktails, too, didn't we? I don't know if we had cocktails, <laughs> but when don't we have cocktails? Uh, but um, I was sitting up all brave, like, okay, okay, okay. And and then what did you do? Well, I turned the, I turned the clippers on, and you said, no, no. <laughs> And so I grabbed, I was, and my hand was on your head uh-huh. and you tried to lean forward like you're going to get up. Uh-huh. You said, no, no. And you leaned, you jerked forward and, and I pulled your head back. Like, girl, sit back. We're going to cut this hair. <laughs> right. So when I pulled back, I had a handful of hair. And I kept going forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then you took your hand and you went around and showed it to me. And I was like, 
Oh my god. Okay, okay. and I set my butt straight up I and know. I said, "Okay, cut it." I mean, it, just, I mean, it came out so it was coming out. It came out so easy. That was and so you didn't even crazy. Feel it. I didn't that feel was the thing. nothing. Normally, when you pull somebody's hair, you feel it. You feel it, especially a handful of hair. Yeah, and hair I was, like I, you had. And I, yeah, I held it. I held it tight, mm -hmm. and you just pulled away, and it just came out. Came in my all head. on your hands. And when you saw it, you were all done. You said, "Okay." That's it, because I remember that Brittany's coach had been diagnosed with cancer before me, so we kind of went through treatment around the same time. I was always about six weeks behind her because she mm -hmm. was, she started, you know, her chemo and everything before me. And I just remember her saying that her hair was falling out in the shower or when she would be in the bed and she'd wake up and hair would be on the pillow because she was trying to keep her hair as long as she right, could. Right. I didn't want that. I, I didn't want I remember that. We, had, we had talked about early on about having conversations about medical treatment and cancer and, mm -hmm. You know, what do you do when you have it? Do you talk about it? Do you don't talk about it? Right. And you were adamant, like, I'm not telling anybody. I was. I'm not going to tell anybody. I'm just going to go through my treatment mm -hmm. and just go about my life. And I said, no. Remember? Right. I do remember that because my thought was, number one, it was devastating news. But I wasn't devastated. Mm. You know what I'm saying? And I just felt like I didn't want to tell people and make them feel sorry for me. You want to keep it private. I want to keep it private mm. and then just come out of it on the other side mm. when that wasn't the right thing to do. And I'm so glad that you told me, especially with my very close friends like Valerie, mm -hmm. when you told me, no, you got to tell your friends. And when I told Valerie, I remember telling Valerie right after my second treatment, before we had the shaving party, we were on our way home. Me and Brittany were on our way home from chemo. And I said, let's stop by Valerie's because she was crying so hard on the phone when I told her because she was around when my mother passed away right. from breast cancer. And so we stopped by her house on the way home and this baby had been crying. Mm -hmm. I mean, she literally had been crying. And that's when it really hit me that you were right. I, I should tell my close friends because they're going to be there for me. Right. Absolutely. You know, they're going to be there for me. And she was just so upset. And so she was so upset. That's the reason we stopped by because I wanted her to see me and see that my spirits are good. I'm fine. Mm -hmm. Because in her mind, all she saw was death. Right. And that, oh my God, she's died. She's going to die from breast cancer. And so when she saw me, I mean, we literally sat there for a good hour and laughed and talked. And, right. and I think that made her feel better knowing that I was going to be okay. I'm sure. I'm sure. And, and that's, that brings about, you know, the topic that we're talking about now. We got to talk about it, mm -hmm. you know, Certainly, you know, some things you don't want to talk about because right. it, it could be too graphic and maybe too horrific for a lot of people. But mm -hmm. your close friends and, you know, family, you got to talk about you gotta it. You got to talk about it. Because you can find out some new things by talking about it. You can feel even liberated by, liberated by talking about Absolutely. it. Absolutely. You know. Now, and, did you ever feel responsible for helping friends who were um, faced with health, health challenges? And when I say help, that could be yeah. a wide range of things. Yeah. Fortunately, I can't, I can't think of any friends that had health challenges other than the loss of a parent or close relative mm -hmm. where I had an opportunity to be there for them and talk to them, right. you know, talk it through and just be present. Mm -hmm. But I know like with death, and I think in the black community, we kind of do that with our friends when, when someone dies in the family. Right. We go and sit and just talk and just be with them and just give them words of comfort. But I've, I haven't had anyone any close friends who had a medical issue. Right. But I do think, I do want to say this though, that 
especially the the young black men and even the older ones, you know, go to the doctor, mm-hmm. you know, develop a relationship with with a physician, and get checked out. Right. You know, get a get an annual physical, because uh, you never know. That's you ne- true. You never know. And then when you develop that relationship with your with a doctor. You can reach out to them mm-hmm. and talk about certain things, you know, via text message. You feel message. comfortable. You feel comfortable mm-hmm. to ask questions about it. Exactly. Whatever, the, whatever the topic is. And especially with men who have prostate cancer, um, just like some other cancers, like stomach cancer and esophageal cancer and stuff like that, you don't know about them. You don't find out about those cancers until they're already stage three, stage four. Absolutely. Because you think the symptoms are representing something else when actually it is cancer and you don't know that because you're like oh i'm just my stomach just don't feel right or my chest just don't feel right but i don't need to go to the doctor and then the other thing you know people need to be aware of and we we all do it in today's age Mm -hmm. with information we always we always go to that that medical md okay what's it called that WebMD, WebMD. Mm-hmm. and you get you see all the symptoms and treatments, and, right. all this, and it may not be what you have. That's true. But you take it a step further and think that's what that's you got. That's what you got. You start diagnosing yourself Self-diagnosis. instead of just going to the doctor. Right, exactly. You know, I and mean, so it has its it has its place. It does. We take it too far. Too far. Too far. Exactly. And now, see, with me, <clears throat> I've had several friends who have had medical issues surgeries, cancer, where I felt a responsibility Mm. to stay in touch with them, go to the offer to go to the doctor with them. Many of them have accepted Mm -hmm. and that made me feel good, Mm -hmm. you know, just being able to be there with them. Cause I had one friend and I won't mention her name, but I remember when I, when she was diagnosed with cancer, she didn't know or she didn't believe that she was diagnosed with cancer. And I went to the doctor with her. I said, what do you mean you don't know? And she goes, well, no, they just they just removed this tumor, but they didn't tell me if it was cancerous or not. And I'm like, they had to tell you because they have to send you for follow-up treatment or something. And sure enough, I go to the doctor with her for her follow-up appointment. And they, um, the doctor, her primary doctor sends her down to the oncologist. And I tell her, I said, if they're sending you to an oncologist, that means there's cancer somewhere. Mm-hmm. And so I said, give me the paper. And I look at the the document that the doctor had given her to take down to the oncologist. And sure enough, it said right there, malignancy. I don't know if she was in denial. She was in denial. Yeah. And that's what I got. I, I just got that feeling. And so that's she didn't want, why. She didn't want to believe it. She didn't, she want, didn't to want to believe it. She didn't it. want to know. No. And she had been there for me when I went through my breast cancer. I remember cancer, that. I remember you know? that. I remember her going. She would go to, she would meet me at City of Hope. And then she would take me to eat. And we go eat and then I'd go home and then I'd have to go back the next day for my new Lasta shot and she'd meet me again. She'd be right there she'd with She'd be you. right there. And so, so I had to be there for her. Had to. But had I to. really believe that she was in denial. She was. She was. And she was so far along with it. It's just kind of like with my grandma mm-hmm. that I talked mm-hmm. about earlier. Yep. You know, and she was... never got over it because it, it, they, they removed the tumor and then months later it came. She looked great. She felt great. And then months later it grew right back. Now, what about, have you experienced anybody with uh, COVID or who's been affected with COVID and not knowing whether it's directly or indirectly, whether it's a boyfriend or girlfriend, you know? A few times we've been impacted or had friends impacted, directly impacted by COVID. One great friend of ours 
whose mom passed away mm. from complications or due to COVID. Mm -hmm. And um, that was devastating for her family, you know, just like, unlike any normal death, you right, know, and, right. and with elderly parents, you kind of take some things in stride. Okay. Yeah. She is older, whatever. But when it comes so suddenly, and then it, you add COVID on top of that, it just makes it more devastating. And so we had that situation. Um, then you had one. And who, then, yeah, then the other friend who known for years. Right. And this is a key for most, for, for a lot of us that we, one thing that we miss, we miss the fact that when you see, we miss changes. Like when we know somebody's always on social media, they're always commenting on your posts. Mm -hmm. They're always, you know, um, just communicating with you. And then all of a sudden you don't hear or see them anymore. And you don't think about it. You don't think about it. This friend, that wasn't the signal for me, but she herself had come down with cancer. And like the other friend, I would go with her to her follow-up appointments. And, um, and so I knew that I needed to stay in touch with her. Mm -hmm. And after a certain period of time, after she'd been through several treatments and different things that resulted from that, like other surgeries, I kind of fell off a little bit. And then that's when the whole um, social media thing didn't dawn on me that right. I hadn't seen her. Right. And um, and so she called me a couple of weeks ago about 10 o'clock at night. And that's not like her. She don't normally call me. We usually text or well, she'll call like if we having a party and she want to know if she can bring somebody uh, or if I want her to bring anything. Right. Right. But it was weird. And so when I saw her name pop up, I'm like, uh oh, I wonder what's going on because I had no I knew about her history. And she was calling basically to talk to vent about she was she told me in that conversation that she was getting married. She had planned on getting married and then COVID hit. So they postponed the wedding. And um, and then. Back September, October, um, her fiance had come down with COVID. And when he was hospitalized, because she was not married, they were not married at that time when he was hospitalized and. Everything, all of the decisions that had to be made, everything, you know, went to the mom. Right. His mom was still alive. Right. And so she got to make all the decisions. She was the one, you know, the next of kin, power of attorney or whatever. And so what was so devastating for her is the fact that once he went into the hospital, and this is a lot of people's story, I'm sure. Once he went into the hospital, at first when he was, you know, awake and coherent, she could text him. She'd send videos and they would communicate. And then after a while, things just fell off and he never was responding anymore. Mm -hmm. And then soon after that, she found out he died. Wow. I know, right? Wow. And so after he died, she's in her mind, because this is her fiance, she's thinking she's going to be included in some things. Um, of course, you know, graveside services are the, the most appropriate because of COVID. And so um, that was fine that she was able to attend. However. At the point that they then went to the interment or where they were going to put his his ashes or his body, I don't remember which, in a mausoleum or somewhere mm -hmm. where they would only allow the mom and two other people to go. And of course, those were his siblings. Mm -hmm. So she felt cheated, you know, because here she was. She saw him 
for the last time, he goes into the hospital. She can't see him. They're just, you know, messaging. That's and so crazy. So that's so crazy. She was devastated. I, and, and then I kicked myself because I'm like, dang it, I should have been in touch with her when I didn't see her on social media because that's one of the things that she mentioned right. is that she wasn't on social media because she was just trying to deal with everything that was going on and feeling like it's such a loss that she wasn't able to be there and be in the hospital right. and all of that. So right. that just broke my heart for her. It's so important to uh, like close friends yes. to stay in contact. Mm -hmm. You know, when it's been like several weeks and you haven't reached out or they haven't reached out to you. Right. It doesn't take a whole lot to just text, text, pick up a phone, text, yep. or even calls. So and just say, I just want to say, hi, how you doing? Right. Need to hear your voice. Right. You know, that means a lot on. to people. Cause I know it meant a lot to me when I was sick you know, and people were calling me or texting me. And like my girlfriends, they would meet me at church. Come on, we're going to meet you at yeah, church. Yeah. And they would surprise me. One would say, okay, meet me at church. And then I'd get there and five or six other girlfriends were there too. Mm -hmm. And we started doing that every Sunday. And we called ourselves the Sunday Divas. Right. And we'd go and we, and this was all when I was going through my treatment and I had my little hat on and we'd go and go to church and then we'd leave church and I'll go and have breakfast. And that just meant the world to me. And now with COVID, you can't even go to church. You can't even go to church. Unless it's outside. Yeah. It's a well, lot. It has affected so many things. The only right. good thing is I love the whole delivery stuff. Because before <laughs> I was not very trusting of the whole delivery system, you know, food and stuff like that. But now it's just like, I welcome it. I welcome it. Yeah. I do too. You know? I do too. I mean, everything. Mm -hmm. Food, alcohol. Clothes, <laughs> yes. clothes, shoes. Amazon boy Amazon, is the yeah, best, right? Yeah, it's like Christmas every other day. Every other day. You know, I got like three or four or five gifts. Uh-huh, I got signs outside the door. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Leave it right here. Y'all be safe. Don't you put it on the floor. <laughs> put it on the table. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I, I got, we got one other topic that I want to talk about, but it's going to be real brief. Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts about the vaccine with COVID? Well, gosh, I have so many thoughts about the vaccine. Just give me a couple. Um, and I'll give you a couple of mine. Okay. One thought is that I want to take it. And primarily because my doctor says so. Right. And that was my gauge for whether I should take it or not. When people would ask me, are you going to do the vaccine? Because, you know, everybody is skeptical and mm -hmm. I get it. I totally do. And I respect whoever, whichever way each person falls on that topic. But I said, yeah, I'll take it if my doctor says it's safe for me because he knows my history better than anyone besides you. Right. And so sure enough, when the whole topic came up and I reached out to him, like you mentioned before, via email, I sent uh -huh. him an email, non-urgent email, um, asking him, do you recommend the vaccine for me? Mm-hmm. And he said, absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's the whole thing. Develop that relationship with your physician. Because it's funny, we have the same, we, you and I have the same physician. Right. So I just had my uh, my annual physical last week mm -hmm. and we had the same discussion. Right. Although we, I, t I took your discussion text mail that as same as if it was me. Right. As if it was me. So, um, so when I saw him, we had a conversation about it again and I mm -hmm. asked him in person what he thought should should i take it he mm -hmm. goes absolutely absolutely with your age and all the other issues that mm -hmm. you that you have absolutely it's better to be safe than sorry right so i think the the overall message is 
you have to make that decision for yourself Absolutely. and you have to be guided by your doctor and by what ailments or issues, medical issues that you have. And that's what I was basically using as my guide. Yeah. You know, it wasn't whether my best friend took it or my, or you took it. Even if we were on divided on it, if my doctor told me not to take it and you were a proponent for it, I would not take it. Because I would be more guided by what my doctor says because he is the physician. He's the medical expert. So, so you would take it even if I was against it? No, I wouldn't take it. If you were against it, yes. Yeah, if yeah. you were against it, I would take it if my doctor, if doctor says I should. Exactly. Absolutely. So I think for folks who are listening, if you have a physician, mm -hmm. just be guided by what he or she tells you. Yep. You know, if you trust your physician. Right. That's true. You know, and it doesn't interfere with your internal beliefs and your religious beliefs, mm -hmm. then... Just listen to them. Exactly. If you don't have a doctor, then, you know, listen to all the other stuff that you hear going on. Yeah, make your own decision. Make your own decision. And there are a lot of, a lot of information out there that is, that is inaccurate mm -hmm. or theory-based. Mm -hmm. So just be, be smart about it. Right. And do your homework and talk about it. Right. But the, it. the one last thing that I do want to bring up is about knowing what your resources are when you, when it comes to medical um, challenges. And, and I, I go back to when I was diagnosed with the breast cancer mm -hmm. and I had no idea at the time that the city of LA would cover my treatment for cancer mm -hmm. until I was at a women's conference and I heard a CHP uh, a female CHP officer was talking about how she sued the state and she was covered 100%. And she was mostly concerned with, she had five daughters and she wanted to make sure that they, you know, were covered as far as knowing if they were genetically inclined. And that encompassed her taking the genetic testing and all that. And I said, hmm, that was just like, okay, I'm gonna look into that. And sure enough, I consulted with an attorney and it, my case was the first case he had done because with the city of LA or with first responders, cancer is a presumptive illness. And so it could be covered as work comp. And my attorney was the, this was the first case that he had tried and he won. Mm -hmm. And so as a result of that, um, the city of Hope picked up all the tab, the city picked up the tab for all my treatment at city of Hope. And how much was that? Well, just my chemotherapy alone, which was the 16 weeks of chemo, radiation, the genetic testing, all of that, with just the chemo alone, it was over $500,000. Wow. That Blue Cross would have picked up 90%, leaving us with 10% of that to pay. Wow. But because it was work comp related, I didn't have to pay anything. And to this day, they still um, make sure that I have an annual mammogram. And because they can always tell if a cancer, if, it, if I had a recurrence, they could look at that those cancer cells and see if it was related to the previous incident. And then at that point, I would probably have to, you know, not, it wouldn't be considered work comp, but up until now, it's work comp every that's, time I that's go. That's great information for people who, who are listening. Yeah, because yeah. you need to know what resources are available Absolutely. to you because knowledge is power. And, <clears throat> and it just takes, you know, um, your mindset you know, is, is key as well when it comes to that, because you don't have to worry about paying. And so that is, it puts you at ease. It puts you at ease. Yeah. It takes that stress off of you. Off of you and the family. And the family. Yeah. You know, if you're wondering about when you go to treatment, that you're going to have a $20,000 bill, right. you know, that right. you'll never be able to pay off, right. you know, 
And it's also good to have the insurance, like because I knew I had a family history of cancer. Right. We had the cancer policies on the different insurances, Aflac and those right. things like that. So, so here again, like we talked about earlier, got to talk about gotta it. Got to talk about gotta it. Got to talk about it. Yeah. With that, that's going to conclude this episode. And take care of yourselves and love each other. And take care of your friends and your family. Until next time. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Follow us at He, She, We Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, and TikTok. Got a question, comment, or just want to give us a shout out? Use the hashtag He, She, We Pod.